You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today we are reading from John 21, Breakfast by the Sea. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they called nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful job, Layla. Uh, Good morning, everybody. If you haven't met me, my name is Luke and I'm the pastor here at City on a Hill, Melbourne West. And it's so great to be with you here on Easter Sunday. Great job by Michelle and the kids. Uh, So great to have them a part of what we do here on a Sunday. Now, this Easter, we've been thinking about uh, how 
Easter, what Easter means for us and how it is part of our story and each individual person, each believer in Christ and those who are exploring Christianity can experience Easter. And we've really tried to focus in on the story of Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, one of the most extraordinary characters in the Bible. And in Peter, we saw on Friday his sin, how he denies Christ. And today on Easter Sunday, we're going to see how Christ forgives Peter. On Friday, we saw why Jesus died, and today we see what his resurrection means, what what it means and what it accomplishes, how it changes everything. So as we get into this, how about I pray? Father God, we want to thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you for this day that the sun got up 2,000 years ago, and as the sun rose, your sun rose. We thank you that this is the day that changes everything. This is the day that makes all things possible. This is the day which makes the future possible. This is the day that gives us hope and meaning and joy. We ask, Lord, that you will give us on this day. We will experience this in a new way, that you will give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the last time we saw Peter, he was running away after Jesus was arrested He had denied Christ three times and he wept bitterly, ashamed that he had failed his friend and horrified by his own lack of courage. He'd been so confident just hours before. Nothing could deter him. Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. But now he had three times. He had run out on Jesus just when his friend needed him most. But now, on the morning of what we call Easter Sunday, we find Peter running again, this time not away from Jesus, but towards the tomb. Strange news had reached him and his friend John. Mary Magdalene, one of the women who had been uh, with Jesus and followed the disciples and and been a part of their group together, she had been released by Jesus from uh, demonic spirits and and she had followed him lovingly and she'd gone through and gone down to the tomb to try and honour his body and uh, to make sure that it was uh, honoured in his death. But she had discovered when she got there that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. She thought that someone had stolen it and she races back to Peter and John and says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. It seems like the final indignity for Jesus. Immediately, Peter and the other disciple, John, uh, race to the tomb. John wants to make it very clear that he he won that foot race. Uh, But when he gets there, he doesn't actually jump into the tomb. He waits on the outside. Peter, coming second, trailing along, As soon as he gets to the tomb, he jumps in. And if we know anything of the story of Peter, we're not surprised by this. Peter is the kind of person who just jumps into life. He looks before he leaps. And so he goes straight into the tomb. And he sees there that the the linen cloths that had been around Jesus' dead body are are still there, but the body is not there. He, He doesn't quite understand what's happening. But then John steps in and he seems to perceive. We're told that he believed And he doesn't entirely understand how this fits with the Scriptures, we're told in verse 9, but he's starting to to make sense of it. He's starting, I think, to realise, to wonder, to hope, 
that Jesus had risen from the dead. You see, Jesus had said some pretty strange things in the last few weeks and months of his life. He told the disciples as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. That's what he kept telling them. But then he also would say, and he will be raised on the third day. Jesus was telling them, I have to die And they would get really distressed about this. They didn't want that. They were horrified by the thought of Jesus dying. They saw him as this great, powerful hero, and they they were greatly distressed by the idea that he would die, so distressed that they seemed to forget or not notice the next bit, that Jesus kept saying that I'm going to rise again. And perhaps now in this moment, as John finally stands inside the empty tomb, it's starting to become clear to him. Hope is flickering in his heart. We're not sure exactly what Peter thought about all of this, but in our next reading, we find Peter running yet again. But this time, he's running up the beach to Jesus. It's a very different feel in this moment, not of uncertainty, but of jubilation. Peter and some other disciples have been out on the water fishing. They'd had a terrible night and nothing had, uh, they'd not managed to find anything and so they're slowly coming back to the shore. As they do so, someone is walking along the beach and calls out to them and says, why don't you try on the other side? They agree to do it. They don't recognise who it is. But as soon as they put the net on the other side of the boat, they get this massive catch. It's a miraculous catch. And Peter immediately recognises that it must be Jesus who's on the shore. And he's so passionate about it. He's so excited that even though they're about 100 yards from the shore, he jumps out of the boat and races through the water just so that he can get to Jesus. It's an amazing picture It's, again, it's classic Peter, as one writer puts it. There you have Peter at his best, full of vigour, full of love, full of action, impulsive, daring, overwhelming you with his glad enthusiasm. But hang on. How is this possible? How does Peter have the confidence, actually the gall, to race up to Jesus? I mean, just as few days before, hadn't he denied Jesus? How could he be so confident that Jesus would accept him? He'd sinned so terribly against Jesus. So how can he just presume to come up to him now? Well, it turns out that this wasn't Peter's first meeting with the risen Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. So on Easter Sunday morning, Peter and John raced to the tomb. We know later on, on Easter Sunday night, that Jesus appeared to all of the 12 disciples. And sometime in the middle here, Jesus met with Peter, one-to-one. Now, we're not told what happened in that meeting, but we're told that it happened. And I think that we can guess that when Jesus saw Peter face-to-face, Jesus forgave him. Jesus received him and welcomed him in. That's a remarkable thing, a beautiful thing. Peter had sinned so badly, but now Jesus forgives him. Years later, Peter, in a letter to the churches, would write, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness By his wounds you have been healed. If you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Think of what those words mean. 
for Peter. He looked at Jesus on Easter Sunday and he saw the one who had borne his sin on the tree. He had seen the one whose wounds now healed him. He had gone far astray. He had deserted Jesus, but now Jesus had brought him home. Today I want to explore what the resurrection means, what it accomplishes, and the first thing I want us to see is that the resurrection brings forgiveness, full forgiveness, an assurance of God's forgiveness. Like Peter, we've all done the wrong thing. There's been times where we've denied him. Perhaps it's been overt. Perhaps there's been moments in our life where we've had to choose between being a Christian and not being a Christian and we've chosen not to be a Christian. We've said, no, I don't want to identify with that. Or perhaps there's been moments where it's been a little bit more subtle where people have challenged our faith and we've had the choice, do I stand up for Jesus or do I back down? And we've chosen to back down. We've deserted him and denied him, or we haven't lived it out in our life. We've denied the, the reality of the gospel, the power of God within our lives. We've failed to look like Jesus in the way that we live. We've denied him. We've sinned. But here we're told that the resurrection means that God gives us forgiveness. The wages of sin are death. Jesus died. And now because he's completed that, he is rewarded with new life, with resurrection. The resurrection confirms that he has done everything for us. And I think that the picture of Peter is perhaps the best picture of this at all. Uh, R.C. Sproul points out how there's a couple of interesting bookends in Peter's life. You see, uh, in John, 20, we see, uh, John 21, we see him uh, in a fishing miracle. And, and he experiences this amazing provision of Christ. And it's remarkably similar to the very first time that Peter met Jesus. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that Peter was also fishing out one night and having a terrible night, no fish, and then the voice comes from the beach and says, why don't you try this? He tries it. It's a miracle. Peter recognises it's a miracle. It's the exact same moment almost, but there's a couple of little differences. Back at the start in Luke, Peter sees Jesus and realises this is a miracle and he says to him, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He sees Jesus and he feels his own unworthiness, his own unholiness. And he's like, oh God, get away from me. I, I don't belong in your presence. That's what he says at the start. But here, after the resurrection, he sees Jesus and he runs to him. Back then, he thought he couldn't be with God. Now he sees that he can be. The death and resurrection of Jesus have changed everything for Peter. He knows Christ's holiness and he knows his own unholiness, but he also knows God's grace and forgiveness. And instead of running from God, he runs to him. It's a beautiful picture. So I want us to see the first thing here is that the resurrection means that we can have forgiveness. The second thing is that the resurrection means that we can have new life. Uh, we have this beautiful picture. Uh, Jesus comes to them while they're fishing, helps them get this miraculous catch, then they settle down over breakfast, as my wife and I were saying the other day. There's so many beautiful moments in Jesus's ministry. It's just around food. Uh, he must be Greek or something, but it's, <laughs> he just loves having food. And, and in this moment of beautiful intimacy with his disciples, he wants them to experience his love and provision. 
After the meal, Jesus starts to speak to Peter. Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then it kind of continues a couple more times. Three times Jesus asks, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then three times Jesus speaks about his sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It's a beautiful little picture, but it's also kind of a little bit mystifying. What's actually going on here? I think a couple of things. The first thing is that Jesus wants Peter to understand uh, that all he wants from him is love. I think in this moment, Peter is being, Jesus is taking Peter back to the very start of things. He's rebuilding Peter from the ground up. Uh, You see, there's something wonderful about Peter. He's this big bear of a man who's full of affection and energy, uh, the kind of guy who just jump out of the boat to get to Jesus quicker. But I think there's also something a little bit desperate, a little bit insecure about Peter. It's like he's always trying to prove his commitment to Jesus. I'll die for you. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. And often he ends up comparing himself with others. Though all these other guys fall away, I will never fall away, he says. He, he tries to distance himself. He's trying to show that he is somehow better, that his love is greater than anyone else. And in the process, his motives are being twisted and he has wrong ambitions. And it feels like Jesus now is taking him back to the start and saying, look, I just want you to love me. That's all it is. I don't want you to compare yourself with anyone else. I don't want you to get into some competition, some rivalry. I just want you to love me. So Peter says, I love you. And it's a little bit surprising though that Jesus doesn't say, well, I love you too. It's kind of what you're supposed to say, isn't it, in that moment. Instead, Jesus says, feed my lambs. He starts speaking about his sheep. Now, why doesn't Jesus express his love for Peter? Well, as Charles Spurgeon says, Jesus does say that he loves him in a different way, with his deeds rather than his words. Let me explain. See, often in Jesus' ministry, he speaks about his people as his sheep. It's a picture that's supposed to show us the vulnerability but also the importance of God's people. Uh, God prizes his people. We are the sheep of his flock, but, our, uh, but we are also vulnerable. There are, there are wolves out there that might destroy us and might steal us away. So Jesus cares very, very deeply about his sheep. And now in this moment, remarkably, he's entrusting his sheep to Peter. Why is this remarkable? Well, at first glance, Peter doesn't seem like the right person to be doing this. I mean, he's just deserted Christ. He's denied Christ three times. When he faced danger, he ran away. Now, you don't want a shepherd doing this. If if a wolf comes to take the sheep, the shepherd must not run away. Surely Peter might run away. But Jesus in this moment says, I'm going to give you the strength. I trust you. I'm going to entrust my sheep to you. I want you to see here that Jesus is giving Peter not just forgiveness but full restoration. See, after what had happened in the past, he could have kept Peter at arm's length. 
look, you can still be one of my disciples, but I, you're going to have to earn my trust once more. You're going to have to prove it over a long period of time. Or he could have just kept Peter at arm's length. But no, Jesus welcomes him back in. He forgives him fully and restores him fully as well. I entrust you with my sheep. This is the most loving thing that Jesus could do for Peter. He's giving him a new life, a new opportunity. But why then does Jesus need to ask him three times the same question? See, by the end, Peter is getting quite agitated. Verse 17, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter's right, of course. Jesus does know everything. John 2, we're told that he knew all people, needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. And so he knew when someone wasn't being sincere. So I think in this moment, Jesus wants Peter to know his own heart. Jesus wants Peter to understand that his love is real. You see, Peter must have had a profound crisis of faith after he denied Jesus. He must have thought to himself, I'm so broken, I'm so hopeless. What's going to happen the next time I face a great challenge where my faith is on the line, where I'm persecuted? Will I fall again? And what does that say about my feelings for Jesus? Do I truly love him if I can fall away like this? But now I think Jesus is saying, look, I know your heart and I know that you love me and I'm going to give you the strength so that you don't fall the next time. Charles Spurgeon says, imagines Jesus saying this, the dearest thing I have in all the world is my flock. See, Peter, I have such confidence in you that I will make you a shepherd to my sheep. He wants Peter to know three things. He wants him to know that really all it's about is loving him. Just get back to the basics, strip away everything else, stop competing, just love me. He wants Peter to know that he trusts him, that if he will follow him, if he will love him, then he will entrust his sheep to him. And he wants Peter to know that his spirit is working within him. He can be assured that God is at work within him. It's a beautiful thing. The resurrection means that we have forgiveness, but it also means that we have a new life, a changed life, changed desires and new strength. And we see this in Peter as he begins a remarkable ministry. See, it was Peter who had preached one of the most famous sermons in history. On the day of Pentecost, five and a half weeks after Easter, Peter would stand before the crowds in Jerusalem and explain who Jesus was and what his death and resurrection had accomplished. Acts 2 verse 36, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah that they were all looking for, the hero that they were waiting for. But then he's also confronting them with the fact that they've killed him. And then he gives them the offer, though, of salvation. Acts 2.38, repent, turn to me, turn to God and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
he's holding out to them the fact that the Jesus that you killed, the one that I denied, he can forgive. I've experienced it. Now you can as well. And we're told that 3,000 people responded on that day. Then in Acts 5, we're By Acts 4, the church is numbering about 5,000 people. Then in Acts 5, we're told that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The Christian church has been launched and it's a beautiful church, a place of generosity and joy and love and sacrifice and care for each other. And Peter's at the centre of it all. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's testifying, he's performing miracles, he's defending the truth when the authorities try to shut it down. He's being a pastor. He's being the shepherd. He's doing exactly what Jesus had asked him to do, feeding the sheep, tending the sheep, looking after them. In 1 Peter 5, he speaks about this role that he has and he says to them, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I love that language. Later on he says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He understands that this is the flock of God. He's looking after these people that God has entrusted to him. He knows that Christ loves him and he's been given this work and he takes it so seriously, so carefully, and he does it under the eye of the chief shepherd, the one he is responsible to, answerable to, and the one who is shepherding him, helping him and walking with him, walking with him through all kinds of circumstances. You see, we also see how Peter develops an incredible courage Uh, The church's rapid growth alarms the Jewish authorities and they try to shut it down as quickly as possible. As early as Acts 4, Peter is hauled before the Jewish council who charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And I love Peter's response. Acts 4 verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. (laughs) It's so profound what we've had. We just love Jesus so much we just can't help but talk about it. It's flowing, it's gushing out of them, bubbling up. In Acts 5, the authorities double down. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Here you see what is happening within the life of Peter. He's not just excited, he's also brave. Here is a man who we saw on Friday was uh, uh, brought to timidity by just a servant girl, someone who had no intimidation factor at all. And now here he is standing before these great authorities who could condemn him to death and he's resolute. We will obey God, not man. The man who denied Jesus is now proclaiming him with no thought of his own safety. Something has happened here and this is the The third thing I think that the resurrection gives us, it gives us courage. It helps us to handle suffering because of the promise of life after death. You see this in the way Peter speaks about suffering. In his letters to the churches, he often talks about suffering and and we know because of his own experiences, this is just so rich, so meaningful. 
He says in 1 Peter 3, if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them who would oppose you, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. Accept it. Accept that suffering is going to come. It is part of the deal. We saw on Friday that Peter stopped following Jesus when he realised that uh, he wasn't going to find power and influence and comfort. But now he understands that if you follow a Christ who died on a cross, you're going to have to take up your cross as well. And yet he's not afraid of this. He actually sees that God blesses him through it. 1 Peter 4.14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What he'd found was that when he was uh, suffered like this, when he was thrown before the authorities or put into prison, he would discover God's grace in a profound way. God felt close to him. Within him, the spirit of God was resting on him. He felt that presence. And that's what helped him to stay. We saw on Friday that he ran away from the presence of Christ, afraid to stand up for him. But now as he stands for Jesus, he finds Christ standing right next to him. He finds the power of God working within him, making him courageous. And each time this happens, his faith is grown and builds up. He says in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Each time he was tested. There must have been times where he thought to himself, oh, what if I deny Christ again? What if I do that? But each time he trusted Christ and the genuineness of his faith was proven. The fears that he must have had were assuaged and taken away. He found God working within him, shepherding him and leading him, strengthening him, even up to death. In their conversation on the beach, Jesus tells Peter what is to come. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, we're told that this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Jesus is saying that Peter will be captured and imprisoned, that he won't be able to go wherever he wants to go, but he'll be carried around. And one day his hands will be stretched out, just like Jesus's were, on a cross. And so it would come to pass. 30 years after the first Easter, the Emperor Nero began to persecute the church killing many of God's people, and one of them was Peter. He was crucified for his faith. He died just like his saviour. Except legend has it that he actually requested that he would be crucified upside down because he still didn't feel like he deserves the honour of dying just like his hero had, his saviour had. What I find amazing about this is how calm Peter was about what was coming. 
2 Peter 1, he says, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He knew what was coming, but he's completely calm about it. He's so completely changed. He was so afraid before Jesus' death. But after the resurrection, he's calm and confident and at peace. Something beautiful has happened within him. He's found hope. He believes that even if he dies, Jesus will be there after death. In 1 Peter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He knew that he faced death, but he knew that Jesus was on the other side. He knew that that was imperishable, that that was pure and protected and couldn't be taken away from him. He had discovered faith and hope and life even in death. Every Easter, every Easter Sunday, we talk about the reality of the resurrection, what it means, how we can trust it. That's because our whole faith hinges on the resurrection. It stands or falls on it. Unlike any other religion, Christianity is based on a historical, verifiable, historically verifiable event. Either it happened or it didn't happen. If it didn't happen, the whole thing falls apart. And Jesus was just a liar or a lunatic. It doesn't matter. He's just a, a fly-by-night who came and went and everything falls with him. But if it does happen, if it did happen, if Jesus truly did die for our sins and rise again, then the whole thing is true. He's the Lord. And that changes everything. It is the single most important event in the world, in history. And so every Easter Sunday we talk about it and we try to uh, suggest how we can be confident that it happened because there's lots of historical proof for it. I studied history and I love all of the historical proof for the resurrection of Jesus. It gives me so much confidence in it. But today I don't want to talk about that. I want to point you to another proof, the proof that I find even more compelling, and that is the impact the resurrection had in people's lives. And we see it no better perhaps than in Peter. Here is a man who followed Jesus but then denied him, who ran away because he was afraid. But after the resurrection, we see him so transformed and so changed and become so brave that for me, he proves the resurrection and its power. This Easter, I want us to see what the resurrection means. It means full forgiveness. Peter sinned terribly. But Jesus died for that sin. And when Jesus rose again, he was able to assure Peter that he had been forgiven. Peter says in his letters, love covers a multitude of sins. And for him, he knew that was real. 
Elsewhere he says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He had run away from Christ, but in effect Jesus had run after him and had brought him back. The resurrection means full forgiveness. We come with our sin. We recognise that. We sing about that at Easter. We recognise that Jesus had to die because of us. It was our sin that nailed him to the tree. And Jesus wants you to know that if you trust him, if you bring that sin to him, even if you've run far away from him, he will bring you back. And the resurrection is proof of that. We don't have to run away from God anymore. We can run to him. So the resurrection brings full forgiveness, but it also brings new life, a powerful, changed life. That's what we see in Peter. His life was radically changed and he explains in 2 Peter 1 that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And then he says that we can become partakers of the divine nature. If you want to change, if you you want new beginnings in your life, if there are things that you wish weren't there, things that you're ashamed of, things that you long for freedom from, Peter says, Come and trust Jesus because he can give you new life. He rose from the tomb. He conquered death and so he can conquer the deadness in our hearts. Come to Jesus and know the resurrection power. Pray for your friends that they might know the resurrection power. Perhaps there's people in your lives that you see need hope and life. Pray that they come to the empty tomb and meet the Jesus who emptied it. And thirdly, we see hope beyond death. Peter is calm about death because he knows that Jesus is on the other side. It might seem strange to talk about death on a day where we celebrate life, but the way that Peter approached death is so radically changed that it's worth celebrating. He had discovered the one who gave life that is full and forever. That's the one he trusted. That's the one he met. And now he sees him face to face. It's a glorious hope that he discovered and it's a hope that we can have too. We still face death because the world is broken. But in Jesus we see that death has been defeated. Death could not hold him down. He is risen and he waits for us if we trust him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the day that makes everything possible. We thank you for the day that makes forgiveness a reality. We thank you for the day that makes new life uh, an experience that we can have deep within us. We thank you that today makes even death something that can be overcome. Thank you, Lord. We have run from you in our sin. Thank you for following after us. We've done the wrong thing and deserve justice, punishment. Thank you for taking it for us. Lord, thank you that you are on the other side of death, waiting for us, 
waiting to receive us. Lord, the tomb is empty, but our hearts are full. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.